0: Jack Hi. O'Callaghan, welcome to The Bag Drop.
1: The Bag Drop. It's good to be at The Bag Drop.
0: <laughs> Thanks for joining. Do you, uh, Have you been on a podcast before?
1: Uh, I probably have, yeah. I don't you know, know much about them. I've been told I need to start listening more, but uh, I don't know. I never quite get around, so I think I'm just, just, my age, I'm still just into music. So at some point, I'll start listening to podcasts. Yeah. I'll listen to this one when we're done for sure.
0: Perfect. Yeah, we'll get you into the, the podcast world. Um, there's none that you listen to right now. No, I really don't. You know somebody, though, that hosts a pretty popular one, don't you?
1: Yeah, so yeah, I'm pretty good friends with, uh, well, the the Sammy Riggs' family, uh, good friends. My wife and Sammy's mom have been friends since kindergarten, and they, they all grew up together down in St. Louis. So I've known the kid since Sammy, since he was, uh, I don't know, He was probably 14, maybe 12 or something like that when he moved to Chicago to play hockey. So that's how long I've known Sammy. Uh, He's a great kid. Um, You know, played hockey out here, went to prep school. I kind of – he loved hockey. I was a little bit of a, you know, sounding board for him when he was a young kid and uh, helped him out a little bit, introducing him to some places. But he was a really good player, great kid, advanced through the system, ended up at a really good prep school out in Connecticut, Choate, went to harvard you know got a little banged up at harvard the first part of the year his first semester there but he straightened everything out and eventually when he got out of college my wife and his mom everybody's wondering what the hell is sammy gonna do and he he finds this place called barstool sports you know and uh he loves sports um he's always had a big personality, and. Uh, So I pay attention to Sammy. I follow him on Twitter. That's about as advanced as I am right now.
0: (laughs) He's a good follow.
1: Yeah, he's a good follow. He's fun. He loves golf, which I love golf, and he loves hockey, and I love hockey. So we got a lot in common that way. And uh, right now he's caught between uh, talking golf and talking about the St. Louis Blues because they're in the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs. So he's kind of betwixt in between.
0: Yeah, I should really just sub in our producer Mark Caldwell for the hockey portion of this pod because he's our hockey, okay. a resident hockey guy for New Club. But um, yeah, it's a
1: fun time of the year to watch hockey here in the you know in the springtime, um, April May. It's good hockey. It's a different kind of game than they play the other uh, seven months of the year.
0: And it bleeds into the golf season, it which is good, bleeds into the too. golf
1: season, which is also good.
0: Why, what is it about hockey players in the game of golf? Why is, are there so many that cross over so well? It seems to be a sport that translates pretty decent to, to the golf skills.
1: Yeah, I don't know what that is. Possibly uh, the seasons aligned, you know. So when hockey first started, I mean, when hockey originally was mostly in the northern states. So you didn't have Dallas, you know, you had L.A., but most of the teams are in sort of the northern half of the country and Canada. Um, And, you know, June, July, and August, right, my my uh, hockey coach at Boston University, he said to me one time, Jack Parker, he said, you know the greatest thing about being a hockey college hockey coach? And I said, he was the three greatest things about being a college hockey coach. I said, what? He said, June, July, and August. <laughs> so uh, anyway, um, it overlaps, right? So when I was in Boston growing up, uh, I spent the summers at the beach. You know, I didn't play golf, never. Um I don't know what I did. I used to work out, exercise, ride my bike, and go to the beach a lot and go fishing and water skiing. And I moved to Chicago in 1982 and 83 uh, maybe. And when I came out here, if I didn't start playing golf, I would have no friends. I mean, Chicago is a golf mecca. Everybody plays, and all my hockey buddies, when I started living around here in the summers, all my hockey buddies, all they did was play golf. Stan McKeeter at the time was the uh, head pro, or the director of golf at Kemper Lakes out in um, – you know, where the hell it is. Uh, Long Grove, Long maybe, Grove maybe, yeah, out that way. Um, so we used to always have a chance to go out there and play. So I played Kemper Lakes, you know, 100, 200 times. And when I started, you know, I just swung hard at everything, and it took me a while to figure it out. <laughs> I still have that gene, you know, you want to hit that ball hard. But uh, it's a great game, you know. Golf's a great game. It's re- it can be relaxing. It's competitive. Uh, it fits with the hockey season um yeah so you got a lot of hockey players that love golf
0: yeah i, I feel like uh, i was a hooper and and i kind of can tell people's golf games if they grew up playing you know hoops or or their winners were spent on the ice um uh, maybe it's the slap shot or something that like you, yeah. can, but you can tell a hockey player right from his golf game
1: well yeah i think a lot of with hockey players a lot of guys are pretty handsy you know because we we grew up playing with a hockey sticks so we've got a stick in our hand day and night um you know, you're rolling the puck back and forth, stick handling, this and that. So you you get us on a golf course. I mean, sometimes it works, but you definitely have power in your hands. So a lot of guys can hit the ball pretty far. Um, unfortunately, when they get around the green, sometimes they want to use their hands, and sometimes that's not such a great idea. But uh, um, for the most part, you know, hand-eye coordination, good hands, matching up of the seasons, you know, competitive sport in its own right. Yeah, there's a lot of great overlap between the two sports. And and again, you know, especially around Chicago, you at week to week, I mean, there's the guys, the active guys, the the older guys. I mean, there's guys all over the golf courses out here in Chicago.
0: Yeah, yeah. Especially, you know, we're sitting here at our home club, Beverly Country Club. A right. uh, lot of hockey guys. And, yeah, and a lot of hockey guys, <laughs> a lot of characters in general. But wh- why is this place so special to you? I know it is. Yeah. Why is this place so special to you?
1: Well, you know, I grew up in Boston, and in, in this in the little part of Boston called Charlestown. So, I mean, I grew up surrounded by you know cops and firemen and and you know union guys you know teamsters longshoremen whatever carpenters plumbers a lot of blue collar people no one played golf at all but you know their kids grow up with the hard working uh, ethos uh, handed down by their parents right and and then as they start maybe doing a little better you know they start playing golf or whatever and maybe they get to join a country club or something Um, and down here in the south side of Chicago the culture is very similar to where I grew up so the people A lot of these guys that are members here, you know, they're children of police and firemen and and tradesmen. And, um, you know, they're not sons of doctors, you know, and sons of lawyers. They're sons of cops and firemen and electricians. And um, so I feel really comfortable down here. The culture is great. The people are really nice, Um, you know. People don't hold back. If they have something to say, they say it. I like that. And uh, and on top of that, this is just one fine and fantastic golf course. And, it's, and on top of that as well, I mean, the staff is great, you know. So yeah. the staff is the same as the culture of the club where the people are nice, down to earth, straightforward, blue collar. Um, you can have fun talking to them. They're smart. Um, but they're just my kind of people, so that's what I love it. And on top of that, like I said, the golf course is just wonderful.
0: Golf course is another little perk. Down yeah, it's here just for a sure. gem,
1: and it's close to downtown Chicago as well. So it, there's so much history here. Started in 1908, and the history of this place, just of um, as a local club for so many years. You know, and over the years, when guys like you know Bing Crosby and Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin and Forrest Tucker and all those guys used to hang out here and. They'd bring Ursula Andress down here and and uh, Barbara Eden. Like you hear stories about all these uh, famous old actors and actresses that we used to watch. You know the guys would be playing golf. The these these hot actresses would be hanging out by the pool. You know the caddies would be running around trying to scoop uh, trying to scope the the actresses out and see them in their bikinis. And they, the stories still go around here. And it's uh, and then the history of the club. You know, as again as a local club with the pool and the the tennis courts and the families, but. Uh, the city and the town has evolved the clubs changed now it's more become more of a a golfer's golf club you know with with the pool being gone and the tennis courts being gone and we love it that way um it's it's a it's a nationally recognized phenomenal golf course
0: yeah yeah and it's only only been getting better since the time right. that young guys like myself have joined and there's yeah. it's a vibrancy down here that i just yeah. think has been
1: someone told me it's the youngest club in america and and it's just a it's it's probably true. We have so many young guys like yourself, you know, guys in their, I don't even, some guys late 20s, maybe to late 30s, you could say, you know, whatever, right in that that wheelhouse where they live downtown, they like golf. You know, this is 15, 20 minutes from downtown Chicago. Uh, you feel like it's an oasis in the city. And you come down here and, you know, I'm a 60-year-old guy and I'm playing golf with you know guys in their 30s and guys in their 40s and they love hanging around with me and guys my age and all the crew I hang out with and and uh, it's vice versa we love hanging around with them and and you know getting a little match and see how they got see what they got and uh there's just a lot of fun to be had down this place.
0: Yeah, yeah, and the banter's good. The banter's yeah.
1: good. Good banter. But if there was uh,
0: good-looking <laughs> models and actresses hanging out by the pool, I don't think I would have supported that removal. I didn't know that was ever the case down here.
1: <laughs> Again, the, the, the it's changed, right? The culture changes. I, I guess back, you know, when probably who knows when that was in the fifties or sixties or around that time frame, there was, I guess, there was some kind of a. Um, uh, you know a, a big banquet place or a big like nightclub kind of place where all these guys would come into town Sammy Davis jr they'd all come out here and entertain um, and when they did you know for some reason they had an affinity to this club. They'd come here and play golf, they'd go there and entertain and you know those guys like to hit it a little bit you know they'd like to stay up late and a cocktail and you know Dean Martin he had his always had his brown whiskey mm-hmm. um, so those guys it was a different era but uh, you know Beverly as a country club as a golf club it lived through all that you know if you, th- you think about what this club has seen in, in its 110 years of operation um if someone had been filming it all i, I mean there'd be quite a few great stories
0: the, yeah someone will buy the rights to that movie eventually yeah. uh so so O'Callahan. it's probably not a polish or greek last name no it's, irish. Are, it's you, all irish are you family from what part of ireland
1: so my family's from county cork in ireland um what I mostly know, but I know a little bit about it, I'd like to learn more, mostly from County Cork, which is that southwestern part of Ireland where Ballybunion and Tralee and Waterville are all located. Um, um, my, my great-grandfather came over, I don't know, maybe 1900 or something like that. 19, I don't even know when, 19, right around 1900. Um, and I'm named for him, John Joseph O'Callaghan. So, um, yeah, and then, I, I, again, I grew up in a, in a part of Austin. It's called the Irish Green Mile. So I grew up with 90% Irish people and surrounded by three Catholic parishes. and
0: Right by Bunker Hill, right?
1: Next to the Bunker Hill monument. Yeah, I know that. Yep, right. They had the USS Constitution's docked in my town. It's one square mile, and it's, uh, um, you know, there's some guys that kind of lived on the edge of the law here and there, a little over the edge of times. But, uh, you know, everybody kind of showed up at church on Sunday and asked for forgiveness, <laughs> So I learned early on, you know, it's always better to ask for forgiveness than permission, you know, and that's, that's kind of a good motto to have when you want to play golf and your wife's like, so what are you doing today? I was like, well, you know, I'll <laughs> see you in about six hours. <laughs> so
0: we, we started this uh, this golf society. That's actually where I got the concept uh, when I spent a year over in Cork, Ireland, for this golf society to get some people together to play the game. And I'm guessing uh, meeting some folks from Cork, that's where you get the
1: gift of gab. I don't know where I get the gift from. Yeah, I think it's in my blood, probably genetically. Um, we're all storytellers. You know, we, we, we can rap a little bit. Um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. I mean, the Irish culture is terrific. I'm, I'm, I'm part of it here in Chicago. Um, part of the, I'm on the American Island Fund board here in Chicago. So we, we raise a bunch of money here just from Chicago. There's American Island Fund boards around the country, Boston, New York, L.A., San Francisco, and all over the world. And it's basically a bunch of business people here in, Ch- in Chicago, the group I'm on, and they just do what we can to raise money. We raise about a, maybe a million bucks a year from just from Chicago, and I think New York raises three, and Boston will raise a million and a half, and it just adds up, and it all goes back to Ireland. And it's, uh, you know, it's really a great thing to be able to participate here in the States, and the end result is that the country of Ireland gets better. So that's really something that makes us all pretty proud and happy. And I do love going over there. I've been over there four or five times and I can't wait to go again.
0: What's your, you played some golf, I assume.
1: I have played some golf over there, yep. I've only been over there one time not to play golf. My daughter was uh, doing a semester at University College Dublin, so we went and picked her up, my wife and I, and we kind of did a little walkabout, a little, a little bit bit of a pub crawl kind of around that southern part of Ireland. Uh, You know, went to Waterford and, uh, but I had to drive through Ballybunion even though I wasn't playing golf. I had to drive by just to look at it, and uh, that was a fun day, and my and uh, until I saw the picture of Bill Clinton there, the statue of Bill Clinton, and I was like, well, that's embarrassing. I, from a distance, I thought it was Tom Watson, and I got close, and I saw who it was, and I just thought, what is, how did this happen? This is embarrassing <laughs> for the Irish, but uh, the Irish are Democrats, you know, they yeah. love their Democrats, so I guess... He's there, and it is what it is.
0: Yeah, yeah. They, they, they put up a bunch of statues of Americans at different golf courses that feel a little...
1: Yeah. I
0: mean, Arnie Arnie's over at Tralee. That one's... Well, Arnie, uh,
1: Arnie built Tralee, you know. I mean, that was his first course in Ireland, and uh, he should have a statue. I mean, there should be a statue of Arnie on every golf course in the yeah.
0: country and the world. Um, <laughs> you know who's paying the bills, though, when you see more statues of Americans than you do of Irish Yeah, developers. well, you
1: know, the country went through some rough, rough, rough times for a long time, and... It it still has a it's still volatile you know the, uh, economically it goes up and down, um, uh, tourism is usually something that's always st- you know, stuck it out but uh, you know Ireland has Ireland has a, a checkered history um, doing great now and the tourism and the golf and, and the technology companies over there and and the you know the reconciliation that's happening between the north and the south is actually. It's slow going, but it's, at least it's going in the right direction. So, again, being part of that American Island Fund uh, organization, the mix is pretty happy to see that.
0: Yeah, yeah. We, we plan to uh, get our golf society over there for a couple trips in the in the near future. We're doing Scotland first, but Ireland next.
1: Yeah, well, you can do. There's four, four or five different trips in Ireland you can do. And I think one of the fun ones to do is you go up to Belfast and you go into the north and you play County Down and you play Port Rush and you hang out up there maybe stay up in Bushmills and maybe you know experience some of the local flavors um, and if you're there at the right at the correct time of year you could take a ferry from up there and you could take it directly across to Scotland you go, I think it's the Irish Sea I'm pretty sure it's the Irish Sea and you go right across to Scotland and it'll take you to Campbelltown or maybe air. Um, and there's a great golf course over there called Macrahanish that was built by old Tom Morris uh, we've been over there a couple of times, and, and that is a true gem. And I, I haven't made this trip, but I think you start right around where the Giants Causeway is, and you kind of go across. So it's not Ireland. It's Northern Ireland, which is basically part of the British Commonwealth com- countries. But, uh, you know, playing Portrush County down and then taking the ferry to Macrohannes would be a pretty good hat trick.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a good line up there for sure. Yeah. Um, back to your guy Sammy Riggs oh yeah okay huge Tiger guy probably one of the largest in the country so he's had a, himself yeah a little celebration the last couple of weeks with yeah. Tiger's victory down yeah. in Augusta a different podcast I've listened to he had a take they, they were trying to compare Tiger's win to another sporting event yeah and they were having a hell of a time right yeah. they, they were throwing out stuff and they kept <clears throat> shutting it down but I think the one they settled on that it was closest to was the 1980 Miracle on yeah,
1: Ice. yeah I, I would say that's not even close but Um, it's it's kind of funny this, you know, what we did in 1980s, 40 years ago, they're always trying to replicate it. You know, they're always saying, oh, like even when the Cubs won, the Cubs won the World Series. And I remember people saying, well, you know, these announcers in Chicago saying, oh, this is the greatest sporting event of all time. It's like the miracle. I said, you know, I would really compare it to that. I would say the Cubs won the World Series and that was great. But you got to understand, half of Chicago wasn't even happy about it. (laughs) So, you know, you've got got a lot of Sox fans in this town. (laughs) Even my daughter, who's been a Sox fan since she was a little kid, I said to her, hey, you know, it was really fun watching the Cubs this summer. You know, they had a really good team, a good culture. They seem like they've changed the culture around. It was really good to see them get some success. And her comment was, well, maybe now they'll stop whining about how long it's been since they won the World Series. And I said, okay, Rach. But that's <laughs> that's how it was around here. I think with Tiger winning the, um, the Masters again, I mean, look, the guy, probably only Arnold Palmer, Tiger Woods, I mean, he changed golf, changed the economics of golf for sure, as did Arnie. Um, and Tiger changed the athleticism of golf and the way he approached it, and he was always – you know, at the forefront. Even though I don't think he ever wanted it, I think he was shied away from the from being the man. He didn't really want it. He he his one of his favorite things to do is go. I think scuba diving. It's so because he can go below the ocean where no one's going to bother him. And uh, he's a great athlete. You know, golf's a fluid game, right? You get injured, or you know, you lose your swing, or you get the yips. I mean, there's so many things that can go wrong. And with Tiger, I'm so proud of him the way he just stuck it out and. Kept grinding away. I never quit on him. I always had believed in him. I knew he could do it. And I was really, really thrilled to see him come back at the Masters, you know, which was the scene of one of, obviously, probably his greatest victory um, when he won that first Masters of his by, like, a million shots. Um, so so happy for him to come back and, and, you know, so happy to see him just basically shut some of these guys up, you know, specifically, like, Nick Faldo, you know, who's been basically throwing Tiger around the bus since he had some problems. And, you know, you could tell that guy's not a guy that followed. He's not a guy that you'd want to have as a friend, you know. I mean, things go sideways. I mean, the last thing you need is for someone to start pouring gasoline on you. And the people that poured gasoline on Tiger when he had his rough rides, you know, it was all jealousy. And for Tiger to just take the high road, grind it out, fight through it, fight through the adversity, well, that's what golf's really about, isn't it? Fighting through adversity, grinding it out. You know, figuring out a way to get through the next shot, and I'm I'm so proud of Tiger Woods, and so happy that he uh, that he's back on track. Hopefully,
0: yeah that that's a good take. I mean, I was thinking that the uh, achievement of winning something like the Masters, maybe a amateur uh, winning the Masters in today's day and age, you know, maybe not Bobby Jones' time, but like a true amateur. Winning the Masters or winning the British Open or winning the U.S. Open would be maybe a comparison to what you guys achieved as amateurs, right? Yeah, I mean,
1: see, you can't you can't compare anything to what we did because there's nothing. I even said it at the time. I go, you know, nothing will ever compare to this because it'll happen again. Something will happen again, but not not in the world of sports that'll be earth shattering. I mean, what what happened to us was what we were part of was earth shattering. I mean, because there was, what was going? It had more to do with what was going on in the country, socially, economically, where our standing as a country in the world, the political situation in the country, um, the the general malaise that was just surrounding our people coming out of you know the Nixon years and the Vietnam years, and and there was just so much of that that was just weighing down our country. You know, the Russians were advancing against us. You know, we had hostage in Afghanistan. They were burning American flags on TV every night. Um, it was just awful. And, you know, we show up and we're playing the greatest hockey team ever probably created, put together this Russian Red Army team that won all these gold medals that had defeated the best players and teams in the NHL. And, and, uh, you know, we showed up on this thing and we played every other day for two weeks. So it was a, it was 14 days. we play every other day, and, it, you know, it was in Lake Placid, so it was East Coast time. You know, the nightly news would come on. It'd be, it would end at 7, and then we, the Olympics would come on. So um, f- over this two-week period, just the, it just built, <clears throat> and really all of a sudden what it really did was um, those two weeks just brought a country together in a way that no, sport, no other sporting event could ever do that. I mean – yeah, it would be great if the you know the someone I'm mean, to I run the, won the Masters. Great, it'd be awesome. Don't get me wrong, it'd be fantastic. Or if if something really exciting happened, like the Cubs or something like that. But you, when you put yourself back in the time of the late '70s in the United States, and you see where we were as a country, and then you see how we came out of that, and then think about it, Ronald Reagan was elected the following November, and the country you know hasn't really looked back since then. And, it, you know, unfortunately, what happened on September 11th is one of the things I can remember. Um, in my life, you know, I was in the second grade or something when President Kennedy was shot. But usually the things that people never forget, like, I mean, that it was scorched in their soul, are negative things. And the beauty of our Olympic victory in 1980 was that it's something positive that everybody remembers and still wants to talk about. It. And then when Disney made that movie in 2004, well, the beauty of that, it really froze that moment in time. So...
0: Yeah, and introduced a whole nother generation to it as well. Yeah, I yeah, mean, I, that's right. I right all these grew up with my dad's stories, right, there, but right. all <laughs> these my little,
1: my version is Disney. Yeah, and all these that's right. All these little kids, they still think I'm twenty two year olds with twenty two year old curly hair, you know. So that's <laughs> that's far from the truth.
0: Were, were you that uh more factor fiction, were you that cocky kid they portrayed in the beginning of the movie during tryouts?
1: I don't know if I was the cocky kid or not. I just you know, I was definitely um confident athlete. <clears throat> i worked hard i was probably known more than anything for my competitiveness and um you know yeah and, I, and also i was kind of a bright kid so i i didn't really hold back if i had something to say but this guy that they cast in my role in the casting call when they sent it out nationwide um you know they would they must have looked at 2,000 hockey players because they were casting hockey players and they were going to teach them how to act so i guess this kid after you know, he was a good player he played university of maine and uh at the end of his, his, the, his tryout era, I guess he skated down the ice and started doing a strip tease or something like that. So <laughs> then the four or five people sitting up there watched him do that, and they were like, yeah, that's Jack O'Callaghan. <laughs> and I was thinking, when I heard that story, I said, come on, man. that can't. That, there's no way I would have ever done a strip tease. They said, oh, it's sort of a metaphor for what you used to do. And um, some of the guys in my team that I asked, I said, that wasn't really like that, was it? They were like, yeah, you were close. So <laughs> close. I don't know, man. I liked his role. He was a good kid. Um, I was happy to see him in the role. I got to know him and his family, so That's I thought he did a good job.
0: Yeah. So for for all of us that have seen that movie in our generation, what would be something about that that 1980s team that may, may surprise us that we wouldn't know from you know everything that we've been told about? Uh,
1: you know, it's after 40 years. I don't know if there's anything that has been told about it. Um, you know, it's hard to say. Really, I think one of the things that you would you would maybe look at and not recognize is that if you went back in college hockey in the, from, say, you know, 70, 76, 77, 78, 79, which are the four college seasons leading up to the 1980 team, and all of the players that were on that 80 team played college during those four years. And for the most part, every player on that team in 1980 was from a pretty much a team... That played in the either won the national championships or played in the final Frozen Four they call it now, but we used to call it the you know the NCAA Final Four. So all of those guys pretty much played in those Frozen Fours. I mean Minnesota kids we had we probably ten University Minnesota kids on that team and they won the nationals in '76 and '79. We had four BU guys on that team and three of us had won the nationals in '78. We had two Wisconsin guys and they won it in 77. And then, you know, there were University of Minnesota Duluth guys and North Dakota guys. So they played in those final fours. And it was, college hockey was very competitive back in the 70s, it still is. But I think one thing that people don't realize is that Herb Brooks in picking that team, he picked winners, you know. He picked competitive guys and he picked guys that knew how to win. And that gave him a big advantage because he had a lot to teach us. But it's really hard to to teach winning and competitiveness. You know, that's sort of an, an 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 innate skill in a lot of ways. Um, so I think that was something that Herbie uh, never really talked about. But we kind of look back on it like you know he picked winners and he picked leaders. So every guy in that team was captains of those teams. So even he said they asked Mike how you know how'd you end up as captain of that team. He goes you know it was it was weird. Maybe it could have been my age, could have been I like kind of got along with everybody he goes, but I was a I was captain of a team of captains. So it wasn't like I was in there leading the show. He goes, we were all a bunch of leaders.
0: I don't know if I ever told you this story. I I was actually recruited by BU. Okay. And so when I'm 17 years old, playing high school golf, I got a phone call from uh, Mike Ruzioni. <laughs> As a kid that didn't touch a hockey stick, right. growing up, I had no clue who Mike Ruzioni was, yeah. but he was doing some athletic department. He's still work.
1: doing it. He does some development at BU. Yep.
0: Yeah. If I would have got the call from Jack O'Callaghan, I would have definitely joined VU's. Yeah, well there.
1: if you let tell you would've had to play one round of golf with me and it would have been the end of that. You know, it's funny, my roommate in college, John Bethel, who's a uh he grew up in Montreal, Great Hawk, really good player, played a little bit professionally after college, but he was you know, he was on my team for four years. We're still friends, we still play golf together and we graduated college in seventy nine. He started the Boston University golf uh, team in like nineteen seventy seven. And to tell you how much I gave like I didn't have two cents for golf back then I don't even remember him doing it (laughs) so we still talk about it he's he'll be he lives in the Bahamas he does great down there and he's been down there since about 82 his grandfather was the governor of the Bahamas Islands back in the 40s and 50s so he got his citizenship back Um, and we get together at Secession and we get together in Pinehurst a couple times a year and we he's sitting out there holding court, and we're both telling stories. And he starts telling the story at Secession one uh, one year about how we started the, the golf team at BU. And I'm like, I called bullshit on it. But uh, he did. I, I kind of checked it out. He did actually start the golf tournament. So there's quite a hockey-golf legacy at uh, Boston yeah, University. Boston University, yeah. absolutely. Yeah.
0: Uh, so your game, how's, how's, how you playing right now? Maybe go back to how you got into it. How did, when did you really start playing?
1: So I got to tell you, I mean, again, the town I grew up in, I think I ended up with, a, with a, someone stole a set of golf clubs out of somebody's car somewhere, and, and I ended up with them, and, and I don't know where they came from, but uh, I came back after the Olympics, and I got invited to play in a charity golf outing at the Shottick Country Club in Concord, Mass., and because you know at that point everybody wanted us to do stuff and go places and be part of things so I was like well I I think I have some golf clubs in my basement so I went down and dug them out and I played there and I was like you know I hit it all over the map as you can imagine you know I don't know what I was doing um actually I take it back prior I played one time of golf so my friend Mike Fiddler, who I grew up with in Charlestown, Mass he went to BU with me we he played two years then then he signed with the Cleveland Barons and I I played four years there so so Mike Mike brought a house down. So the, I, the first time I played golf was uh, probably the summer of uh, '77. So we're down the Cape Cod. Mike bought a house in Hyannis, it, right next to this uh, in, Fel, in F- Yarmouth, Yarmouth, uh, Mass, right near the Bass Rocks Bass River Golf Course. So him and two of my buddies, Paul Wilkins and Paul Marcy, we were all you know hockey guys from Charlestown, all the same age. So Fiddler, he liked to play golf. So anyway, we're going to go play golf. So I, I get these clubs out of my basement. I go down, and we, and we, we, we kind of sneak on the golf course, right, because it was later in the day. We do not want to pay the, the – The fence member. Yeah, right? we were a fence member. We didn't want to pay the fee. So we're out there walking around. I'm like, so how do you play golf? They're like, you know, I just put the ball and you know, this and that, whack it. So I'm like, okay, we're just having fun. And so, you know, and they're like, how far do they go? They go, well, a 7-iron goes 150 yards, and the rest of them, you know – eights go less nines go less than eight, sixes go far figure it out jack you're a smart guy i'm like okay so anyway after three or four holes they have these red things on the tee boxes so after three or four holes i notice them and so i say to one of the guys i go let me ask you a question we're out here walking around on a golf course right yeah i go why do they have a fire alarm on every tee box and they're like what are you talking about i go Well, every tee box is a fire alarm. Like, you look at these red things with, like, this handle on it. And they looked at me like I was the biggest idiot, and they go, fire alarms? Those are ball washers. And I'll never forget my comment. I said, oh, you have to wash your golf balls to play this game? I go, this game is not for me.
0: (laughs) 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 That's great. That's great.
1: Mm -hmm fire alarms, and then i started playing some charity events in the summers and then i just started you gotta get the itch you know i don't know when i got the itch but within several other years it was after college after the olympics i'd play a little bit around boston when i was living there in the summers and then but my wife at the time said sick of moving back you know playing hockey in chicago or wherever we're playing moving back to boston renting a place for four months moving back moving this way moving that way we got to put down some roots so we decided to stay in Chicago, and really when I came to Chicago was when I started playing golf because I'd have no friends in this town if I didn't play golf.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's a quick way to bond people, right? It seems like yeah. the, the folks that are interested in the game, they, they're, they're different in a lot of ways, but if you speak that language and you enjoy it out there, it's yeah. kind of that, that bond.
1: And you can't take it seriously. You know, that's the other thing I believe in golf, and, I, and this is a great thing about John Bethel, the guy who started the golf team at Boston University. I had my son out there one time. We were playing in the BU golf outing, and Bethel's coming in town. So I brought my son to Caddy for us. He was probably eight years old. He never played, played, you know, whatever, no golf. He didn't grow up playing golf in Chicago. He loves golf now. But I'll never forget what Bethel said to him. So Johnny and I playing, hitting some balls. And so, yeah, that's my son hit a little bit. And so um, he hits a couple bad shots, and he gets, you know, he gets pissed off. He's like, "Ah, ah, like this, right? So Bethel grabbed him. You know, just grabbed me. He says, "Hey, come here and he, listen to me." He says, you, t- "You take a look around." He goes, "Look at these trees." He goes, "Look at this grass." Listen to those birds. He goes, "Look how beautiful this place w- it is where we are." Well, you're walking around with me and your dad. We're best friends. Like you're going to spend time with us, and you're going to get upset because you hit a what you think is a bad golf shot. He goes, "You're not paying attention to the right things." And- <laughs> And I just, I listened to it, I didn't say a word. And he says, think of the, just enjoy yourself out here. And I I was like, you know, that was great advice. And I think it's still great advice. You know, guys that get out here on a golf course that are throwing clubs, or screaming and hollering about this shot or that shot. You know what, I got no time for those guys, you know. It's about friendship and fellowship, having fun, having a few beers, betting a few bucks, hitting some good shots, you know. Hitting it, finding it, hitting it again, and enjoying your friendship, enjoying the company because you never know when the clock's going to end and you don't want to be known as one of those guys who was a, a jag off out on the golf course.
0: Yeah, that is the worst, uh, the worst category to, be, to find yourself 100%. in.
1: 100%. And, and I love that story because
0: um, mm-hmm. it's fun. You know what's the irony of it too is when you start focusing on all that other stuff, whether it be the scenery or the conversation or whatever, your game gets better.
1: You would hope. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't seen those results. <laughs> like I said, there's I don't think there's any secret sauce out there. You know, where, sometimes where,
0: where's your game at now? You my game's good partner? now. You no, uh,
1: my, my game's been my game's good. My handicap right now is the lowest it's been in my life when I'm 61 years old. Wow! So my friend Peter Thompson is a buddy of mine here. He's a member at Beverly and uh, he's a good friend of mine and. We were down, so I belong to a club down in South Carolina called Secession, which is a great spot. I've been out there for 20 years. I love it down there, and and Pete and I were down there recently, and I'm, I mean, I'm playing, with like a five handicap, and uh, you know, he looked at me, he goes, you're the only guy I've ever met whose game has gotten better as he's gotten older. I mean, there were times when I went down there, I remember playing in the blue-gray at Secession one time, and playing with uh, Brian Kern, another member here at Beverly he who's a member at Secession, and you know we come to the first hole and I I'm playing as a 19 handicap. So this is probably six, 15 16 17 years ago. And I get on the first tee, hit it in the hit it in the fairway, knock it over the you know over the green in the in the trash in the marsh and so the, we're playing Brian's like a 5 and the other two guys is like a 3 and a 5 or something like this. And Brian's a whatever. They're all three fours and 5s. I'm like a 17 or 18 handicap. So I knock it over the corner, and I'm ready to tra- traipse it into the marsh, you know, with a wedge and try to chop it out of there. So Brian's like, hey, Jack, hold on a second. He goes, you know, you kind of cross this little part of the green here. He goes, and the pin's right here. He goes, you know, you could pick that up and take a one-shot penalty and drop it right here, and you could putt it. And if you make that putt, you're getting a shot. That'll be four for three. So I was like, really? So I look at the other guys. I go, can I do that? And they go, yeah, you can. So I drop the ball. I put it four for three. We closed these guys out on the fourteenth hole, and I'll never forget their coach of their team of the, of the Southern members uh, that year at secession was this guy um, Marion Moore, uh, and he was a uh, he he hated he was hating on me at that entire couple day tournament um, because I you know he was like who's this guy down here? this Olympic gold medalist playing as a 19 handicap. He's beating my two best boys. Anyway, it was one of the. It's still something we talk about down there. It was one of the funniest ever, but you know. So again, when I started, I was nineteen, and now I'm like, I don't know. I, just look, I think I'm like a three two index or maybe I'm a four one or something like that. But my game's not bad. Wow,
0: that's a. Yeah. It's a nice little jump. It, keep, yeah. it Keeps getting it's better. It's fun to hit
1: good shots. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And that's beauty of the
0: game too, isn't it, with the handicap system, when it works, you get to play a match with anybody out yeah. there.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, the handicaps system works really well when guys aren't, you know, trying to trying to like, you know, manage it. Uh, you know, like a guy's got, a, you know, he Yeah, he's got or... a you know, no, he's got a 3-footer and you know, he's putting for, you know, 3-footer and, and his partner just made 4 and you're like, "Yeah, that's good." He's like, "No, no, I got to make that putt." And he misses it. Oh, put down a 5. You know what? You want to tomahawk that guy and never play golf with him again. But uh, you know how it is. I mean, handicap system is good. It's as good as it can get, but uh there's nothing uh there's no supplement for honor integrity and character yeah and yeah, the game of golf shows it pretty directly pretty directly it's I mean it's the only game it's, you, know, you call penalties on yourself and um, yeah it's it's again it's an amazing it's an amazing fun great game I really really love it
0: how do you balance I mean you were you competed at the top level right you were a professional hockey player how do you balance because uh, I'm sure you go out there today you still want to compete on the golf course. But you are we can hear already, I mean, you focus on the right things, the enjoyment, the camaraderie, the fellowship. Um, but how do you balance that with still trying to, to, to win? Is it kind of like a focus-in type of thing when you're over your ball and then get back to, you know, banter and just having a good time? Or how, how, do, you, how do you do it
1: well? Um, Again, I, you know, I, I don't take – when I was a professional hockey player, uh, you know, yeah, you you compete. So how do you compete, you know, and how do you, you prepare, right? So the way you prepare is – is you practice hard, you train hard, you get your rest, you know, you do the best you can um, to be physically fit for that, you know, for, for that that competition that you're in or whatever, or for that season that you're in. And then, you know, you've also, but you've got to manage it because you get, you know, your engine, you have to manage your engine, right? You got to, the only way you can be a, a, a good athlete or a great athlete to play at the level that I did is you got to manage your highs and lows. You just it's and and it, after I was done playing hockey, I became a commodity trader, and it's no different there. You know, if you're if you're losing your shit when things go wrong, and you're patting yourself on the back and and, and you know thinking you're amazing when things go great, you know, you're just not going to make it. You know, you have to you have to smooth smooth it out. Um, and I learned that as a hockey player. So as a, yeah, again, I was. I, Good hockey player, a good mindset for it, a good skill skill set for it. Um, so, but you have to manage your approach. Uh, and I learned that as a hockey player and I learned as a commodity trader. Uh, and as a golfer, it's the same thing. Now, I don't really, I don't work as hard at golf as I as I did at hockey. You know, again, I like hitting good shots. And I, I'll go to the range once in a while or I'll talk. I never, I've never really had a lesson. I mean, I Dale Tallon, probably the only guy that ever really taught me how to swing a club, uh, and I got I got a lot better just thinking about the things Dale's told me over the years. Um, but, you know, you just, again, try to manage the highs and lows, you know. Like, don't get too aggravated when you're playing like a dog, and just don't get too full of yourself when you hit some good shots. And uh, that's what I love about golf because it's, you know, you can have that experience on the same golf hole, you know. I mean, I was playing the other day, and I'm bombing drives down the middle. I can't hit a green, and it's like I'm not firing my clubs over the fence. You know, I'm just kind of going, all right, Jack, maybe if you close your stance down a little bit, you'll stop pulling all your iron shots. You know what I mean? You just try to, like, just relax and manage it, but but uh, having the mindset of of staying kind of in the moment and st- in, in managing the highs and lows, I think it, it allows me to have a much more enjoyable experience out there playing golf. And, again, I'm not – you know I don't want to be a pro golfer you know I, I want to do as best I can but I also have a job and I've got other things that I like to do in my life
0: yeah yeah I, I asked the question because I know a lot of good people that uh, are a heck of a lot of fun to play with and as soon as you put a couple bucks on the line or you get in a tournament you know they're just total <laughs> Dicks, <laughs> they're, they're <laughs> so happen? focused in right. no putts are given, and, and I just think it's uh it's a it's an interesting skill set for the people that balance it well.
1: Yeah, and the other thing is I've heard this a lot. You know, I remember when my son my son was caddying up at Bobolink, which is a men's club. You know, and you know it's a, a wonderful place. And uh, I remember telling him as a kid, I was like, you know, look at listen, Aaron. I go, you're gonna caddy up there. You're gonna have all these caddies you're be talking crap about this guy and talking crap about that guy, this, that, and the other thing. Um, and I go, what you do is you keep your mouth shut. You're a young kid. You're a caddy. You, for as long as you're a caddy, keep your mouth shut. It's yes, no, please, thank you. You know, and that's it. Um, and don't be talking about people. It's no one else's business what goes on out there. It's it's up to the members of what to do. And I said, if you pay attention, and this I believe is true, you can learn a lot about a person's character just by watching them play around a round of golf. And so anyway, this is another funny, funny golf story. So I don't know, maybe a year goes by and they have having the U.S. Open down at Olympia, and so Michael Jordan lives up at uh, up in he up at Highland Park at the time, and he could play bobbling pretty much. He could call a pro, Steve McCony, and, and you know he he let Michael go play there once in a while. He wasn't a member, but um, so anyway is a Wednesday there's an article in the in the tribune one day on a Wednesday and it's this caddy being interviewed about how Michael Jordan and Tiger Woods cuz Tiger was in town playing at the open so Michael and Tiger are playing at at uh, Olympia and they're they're quoting the caddy the caddy's being quoted in the paper right oh you know michael the hit this shot or he's not as good and this and that and i'm like i'm reading this thing and i'm i'm just dis- I'm horrified you know that this caddy's being interviewed and this golf article, so anyway, of course, I cut the article out like I always do with my kids. I'd cut articles out and say, yeah, I see this. So I cut this article. I say, come here. And I sit him down. I go, look, here's what I'm talking about. Look at this caddy. He's embarrassing Olympia Fields. He's embarrassing the members. How can he go out here? How can he say things about Michael Jordan and Tiger Woods or any member? Like, I go into a rant, right? So my son's just listening. So he said, and when I'm done ranting, he says to me, he goes, yeah, Dad. He goes, you know, actually... I actually saw uh, Tiger Woods and Michael Jordan playing golf Monday at Bobolink. They were in the group in front of me. And I go, what? Tiger Woods and Michael Jordan playing golf at Bobolink? You didn't tell me? And he looked at me deadpan and goes, Dad, you're not a member there. It's actually none of your business what goes on out there. <laughs> and I was like, I guess he learned the lesson. <laughs> hey, it looks like it
0: went in one ear and yep, stayed there. It went in
1: one ear and stayed there. That's right. Oh, man. Oh, that's cool. That's cool.
0: Um, I, I, I got to ask some hockey, I guess. Well, I mean, I I'm, I would talk off with you all day. Yeah. But uh, uh, Mark is our resident hockey guy, like I okay. said. So he was excited for his podcast. But he'd love to know uh, who you think the greatest defenseman of all time is.
1: Well, I, I don't think there's any doubt that it's Bobby Orr, right? I mean, there's been some great defensemen in the game. But, you know, Bobby Orr is like a Arnold Palmer kind of guy Tiger woods kind of guy where he just redefined the position and um and i've gotten to know him over the years and he's actually another golf addict but uh he's a great guy and you know i think of him as, as a friend um i love him and i yeah wonderful man and tremendous tremendous uh i grew up watching him so i'm a little biased but i i can't imagine anybody as good as him
0: what about uh greatest defenseman currently playing
1: well I, don't, I i don't I mean there's a few pretty good ones, you know, but I think this guy Brett Burns is playing a different game out there you know i it's funny we were uh, again another golf story turned into a hockey story, so there's a member here Brad dehan, who and i we were um we were going out to play the Cal club uh one a year ago or so and so we we all went out to a bunch of some Beverly guys and we met some Cal club guys and it was a really a great trip and we went to the San Jose sharks Blackhawks game that night and randomly, and I didn't even know this, but it was Dougie Wilson's 1,000th game as a general manager in the NHL. So we're sitting there in the rink watching, and they got Dale Talens up there on the big screen talking about congratulating Dougie, and then Bob Murray, another one of my old teammates, talking about And I'm like, I feel like I'm, it's like old home week, you know? But I, I, Dougie gave it, got us some good seats, so I was sitting down on the corner by the net, and I had never really seen this guy Brett Burns play. And I just saw him get the puck one time, and he kind of... He took it around the net, and he had a guy chased around that. And he stepped out behind the net, and he took two strides. It looked like it looked like he took two strides, and he was in full flight at the red line. And I was, and he's plus he's like six five, and he's got hands, and he just like the whole ice. You could tell everybody on the ice on the other team was on the Blackhawks was it was scared to death, you know, um, and he just came wheeling up by six, all six foot four five inches of him. And uh, I said, oh, my God, that guy's got some presence out there. So I know there's other great defensemen, you know, Carlson and um, I guess a guy in Colorado is pretty good this year. But, I mean, this guy, Brett Burns, year in, year out has been just spectacular. And, you know, it's what I noticed about Patrick Kane, too, And I I first met Patrick, who's a member here at Peverly. When I first met Patrick and shook his hand, he was 18 years old. And, I'm you know, a talent, Dale was the GM at the time, and he drafted Patrick, and and when I met him, he looked up at me and he was like, you know, someone introduced me. He's said, like, oh, he's like, hey, Mister and I looked down and okay, he was like twelve years old. So I shook his hand, and when I shook his hand, I felt like I was shaking hands with an iron worker. And I, I just was shocked at how this young kid could have this grip. Um, and then I've been fortunate enough to watch him play and experience him play, you know, in his career here in Chicago for the last ten years, and you you, you see the same look. In the eyes of the defenders, when Patrick Kane gets that puck in control and he's in flight, that's the same look I saw in the eyes of the defenders that night when Brett Burns came wheeling around the net. So uh, you could see it's like everybody's going, oh, no, here here they come, Like, and it's just Katie by the door. What are we going to do? You know, Just try to survive here because, you know, Kane is the same way. He gets that puck on his stick. He scares the shit out of people, and, and so does Brett Burns.
0: What the 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 current Blackhawks? I mean, that's yeah. still a loaded, talented team. What do you think is the yeah. what's your opinion on them?
1: You know, I th- I think that look. You know, I don't want to say anything bad about the Blackhawks. I mean, they've been great to me, and I you know I I love them, and they've had a great run. You know, it's hard. They had three Stanley Cups, and you know it's hard to keep that going for for that long. Never you know, and you, it's going to happen, but. Um, you know, I don't know. Some they've they've aged a little bit, and that happens. Guys get a little older, they get a little slower, you know? And uh they're still great players. It doesn't mean they can't play. I mean, they're still great players, but um you know, the playoffs are a different uh it's a different kind of hockey going on out there. And you got to you got to build a team, you know, with four lines. Uh, you look at Vegas last year going to the finals. You know, they had four solid lines. You know, Columbus this year has four solid lines. The Bruins pretty deep. And you know, if you've got a team where, you know, you're, you're spending, you know, 65% of your salary cap on six or seven players, six players, you know, it's really hard to, to field a, a, a solid and competitive third or fourth line. And I, I've always been of the opinion, maybe because I was always a third or fourth line guy, is uh, when you get into the playoffs, you know, it's the third or fourth line guys that, are, that really make a difference out there. You know, they're the ones that's almost like they can swing a series – uh, in the playoffs, because they bring the competitiveness and the grit, they win faceoffs. They play good defense. Um, they kill penalties. Uh, they they see, they can swing a series. You know, even like that guy Maroon last night, Patrick Maroon, that scored an overtime winner on uh, the St. Louis um, uh, Dallas game last night. You know, he's the third or fourth line guy that that chugs around out there, works hard, fights for space in front of the net. Um, but, you know, those guys aren't cheap, and if you don't have enough money to, to, to get that kind of a player, uh, I think you're going to have trouble in the playoffs, and I think, you know, or in, in tough games against tough teams, and I think, you know, that's where the Hawks are right now. Uh, I hope they work it out. It's a great, great franchise, and, and I like going to the games, um, and I, I'm really, you know, wishing them well. Uh, we'll kind of tie
0: in some of the topics that we've already touched on together here. Um, I was curious about the Olympics and uh, the NHL, kind of not allowing their players to play. Yeah. You know, what's what's your take on all that?
1: Well, you know, <laughs> I think they should take hockey out of the Winter Olympics, frankly, and I think they should take men's bask men's hockey. I think they should take men's hockey out of the Winter Olympics, and they should take men's basketball out of the Winter Olympics. I, mean, I don't want to watch LeBron James playing, you know, for the USA in the summer. I, I'm not going to watch it anyway because I can't stand basketball, but. um you know, these guys don't need to be going over there hockey. And if you want to have men's hockey, you know what? Fine. Have it for amateurs or whatever. Who cares? Um, the Olympics is really it's – lo- it's lost a little bit of its luster, I think, uh, just because there's so many competing things going on, you know, and there's so many things on TV and on the Internet and, you know, with mobile. And and there's also other things to do, like, you know, you can actually go play golf or go play hockey or go play basketball instead of watching it all day and night. Um, but you know the one thing I do think the Olympics has an advantage of is it's 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 one of it's the sort of once every two every four years where you get to see losers and bobsledders and 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 or, it, or in the summer track and field athletes or you know in the winter biathletes right or um, you know cross country skiers and in women's sports you know I really think the women's women uh, the Olympics is a it's just a great forum for women's sports. I mean, frankly, I'm never going to watch a WNBA game. I'm never going to watch a women's college basketball game. I mean, and I don't mean it disrespectfully because I think they're phenomenal athletes and they deserve every advantage you know that men get. It's just that I think if we focus more on women women's sports in the Olympics and some of those more traditionally traditional Olympic sports, the Olympics would be a lot more fun. You know, NBC, ABC, all these. You know, they they try to take it over. They turn it into this, you know, this commercial-driven nonsense. It's not even like watching fun sports. You know, I mean, my most memorable experience in the last Olympics, and I can't even tell you where it was. China, who knows? Korea. I mean, it was that. It was those two women in the in the um, um, the cross-country ski uh, the relay, cross-country relay. Now, that was one of the greatest sporting moments I've ever seen in my life. I can't remember their names. I was glued to the TV. And, and I, I, at Salt Lake, I love the hockey out there because it was all the greatest players in the world. But I, I don't know, man. I mean, how much of it do we need? You know, there's, a, there's thousands of athletes, and they keep adding stupid sports. I don't know. So long answer to a simple question.
0: Did you watch the uh, Augusta National Women's Amateur? Did you see any of that? So I, I
1: did not, uh, you know, which would be wonderful to watch, right? Awesome. Play, I mean, I, I can only imagine how great that was, right? But um, I wasn't able to watch any of it, you know. I, I you know, I, certain golf tournaments I'll sit and watch, but I'll try to watch. But I, I'd rather even when I even with hockey. I mean, as much as I, I love the game and all that, you know. I, I, I have a hard time sitting through three periods of a hockey game. I, I have a hard time sitting there watching other people play golf. I'd rather be out. You know, playing golf, working out, riding my bike, being out on the lake. You know, there's so many other things to do, physically active things to do. And, you know, they come home and watch it for an hour or so here and they pick it up or even at the playoffs, you know, pick up a period here or there. Uh, I think, you know yeah i it's, like doing a lot more than kind of watching i i,
0: I like hearing you say that just because we, we our generation in particular too i mean there's so much content you could watch golf. so much you could content. watch hockey you could watch basketball all yeah. day long yeah and and it's just being pumped at us all the time and we think we're we're golfers because we watch it right you're a golfer when you had a golf club in your hand yeah and you're teeing it up you know and i think yeah. we preach that a lot of it's uh let's go do it let's, let's go do it, it. Go yeah our own game you know mm-hmm.
1: i mean i, I well, I remember when I was playing for the Devils, uh, my last couple of years in, in, as a professional, I was playing for the Devils, and, you know, I love playing the game, but for some reason they in, you know, every now and then they'd keep me out of the lineup. And so they'd keep me out. I'd go to the game. We'd be playing at the Meadowlands, and I'd show up morning skate. I'd skate. I'd go home, and I'd, eat. I'd prepare to play the game, and I'd take a net rest. And and then, you know, by the time I went to the game, I'd go for the pregame skate, and I'd come off the ice and say, all right, you know, me, Jack, you, and this other guy aren't in the lineup tonight. i go, okay. So... You know, I'd go in. The guys would all prepare to go out play the game. I'd go in the gym, ride the bike, work out, lift some weights, and snap work out for forty-five minutes, maybe an hour. Just peek around the corner, make sure you no know one was looking. Get in my car and go home and hang out with my kids. So
0: maybe, maybe one last give me, give me one of your. You're just such a good storyteller. OC. OC. okay, I, I would love to get one of your favorite golf. Stories on the golf course, around the golf course. Maybe one more golf story for
1: her. Yeah, you know it's it's funny. I, I mean I don't really have like any go to stories. This is one of my pro one of my things. It's like I don't have any go to stories. Someone will go or even go. To, I, yeah, I guess I got a couple of go to jokes, but I I forget them all the time, and I forget stories and. Maybe it's because I just had so many different different types of experiences, and I forget them. And then all of a sudden, someone will say something, and it'll something will pop into my head. You know, like that story about Brian Kern. You know, when I hit the ball over the corner, and he tells me I could drop it for a shot, and you know, I was like, you know, that, I wouldn't. I don't know where that story came from. It just popped into my head. You know, so um, I don't really have a uh, go-to. I mean, um, you know, Anything's there's just so many. There's so many great stories that I've been, you know, having a chance to be around so many. Great people playing golf and, and a bunch of laughs. I mean, we have so much fun when we go to secession. You know, guys are chipping balls off the porch uh, to break ties. You know, I actually have a funny story. See, it just one just came to my yeah, head. So I'm playing with a buddy of mine, Andy LaValle, and the member member, and Andy's a Charlestown guy. Grew up. We, our mom and dads grew up together, and somehow we both found golf, and we both ended up at the same club in South Carolina, playing the member member tournament, which is coming up this week, actually. Um, and so we win our flight. Now when you win your flight, you have let's you know, say eight flights. And so what they do is, you know, you go out to the 18th fairway, one guy goes out there, hits it into the green, the other guy putts. And so and so there's say eight twosomes out there, right? That won their flight, and you're playing to see who's going to be the champion. And there's a hundred guys watching. And so there's this there's this caddy sorry, this assistant pro um, Eric Kennedy, who's now the head pro at Overbrook out in Philly. He's kind of a funny guy, and he would always write these funny stories after these tournaments. And so anyway, we went our flight. We know it. We're going to be in the shootout. take grabs me. He takes me to the range. He goes, all right, he's playing on the whole thing. Here's what we're going to do. He's, he's kind of a golf lunatic at the time anyway. Here's what we're going to do. You're going to go out there. You're going to have to hit a 115-yard shot. Come on, let's go. Groove 115-yard shot. So anyway, he's got my hitting this 52-degree wedge. And I'm just hitting it. I hit it like 15, 20 times. He goes, he's like, You got it? You got it? I go, Yeah, I got it. So anyway, we go back to we go back to get set up for the shootout. And then I find out he tells my caddy, he goes, listen, he goes, you get Jack two Budweisers as he's walking out to hit that ball. So now he's got the caddy getting me beers. He's got me me out there grooving a 115 shot, right? So, my turn to hit. Pins front right, there's a little hill kind of behind the pin. There's a hundred guys up there. I hit this shot. It bounces once just past the pin, bounces up to the hill, zippers back 10, 12 feet below the hole, right? All he's got to do is make the putt. We win the whole thing. Well, anyway, he missed the putt, but here's what Eric Kennedy wrote in his Monday News the next day. day. He talked about my shot. It wowed the crowd. And then he said his partner, Andy LaValle, had a 12-foot uphill putt breaking maybe a ball right-left. And he goes, he shoved it so far right, he almost had to hit a provisional. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of the funniest things I've ever heard in golf, and so Thrill of Alley never lived it down. You know, yeah. just one of those things that well, s- sticks with you in golf forever. Yeah, while,
0: while he was worried about you yeah, uh, he yeah gonna yeah,
1: he's got to get me some help me relax. Like I need to relax in a you know a golf game. Who gives a shit? I love that stuff.
0: <laughs> I I love those moments, especially those member members. Those, oh yeah, uh, when you're teamed up, fun team stuff. competitions. Team,
1: it's fun, isn't it? Team competition, the best. Golf? the yeah. best.
0: All do you play any alternate shot?
1: You know, I do. I don't really care for it. I mean, I kind of like the Chapman format a little better. You know, you You get a little bit more golf out there, but you still get a little more golf. I mean, in alternate shot, it's like you're playing with that guy. And, you know, you guys are teeing off, these two guys are in the fairway. You know, you kind of, and I understand where it comes from, you know, with Muirfield and Presswick and all that. I get it. And it's kind of a fun event, like, over there. I mean, we've done it at Presswick, you know, where you go in and you play, you know, you play a forces match or something in the morning or whatever, you know, two-ball match or something, and then you go in and you shower and you put a suit on or whatever, and then you go in there and you – you know, you, you eat a side of a cow, and then, you know, you drink all this kummel, and then now you got to go back up. I mean, who really wants to play a full round of golf after that?
0: Lunches are <laughs> aggressive. <laughs> killer, right? They're so, aggressive.
1: So I get that. But around here in the States, I mean, Chapman, I think, is a fun format, you know, to throw into a – if you got a, you're on a golf trip or something, I think Chapman's a fun format to throw it in, at least for nine holes. I, I love Chapman because you see some of the best
0: shots when you're from a t-ball to the approach yeah. you see some of the best shots and then you see some of the worst shots around oh, that man. green because the added pressure you know you you're the only ball in play now and you yeah. got your partner it was also it, it was line.
1: funny we play you know we play chapman at, at the at the beverly medley here in the summertime it's one of our formats right so i'm playing and i've, I've always pretty much played with a uh, different i don't really have like a go-to partner in the medley i always play with a different partner every year and I'm not sure what why I do what that means, whether we, we don't really fire each other. We just kind of, you know, move on. I don't will have to think about that one maybe. But <laughs> I remember um, I was playing with this buddy of mine, Joe Claffey, who's a member. He was a great guy. And back then, I mean, Joe still is kind of a natural hooker of the ball, you know. He hit, he just hit these high draws. And, you know, and I was kind of more of a natural slicer of the ball, you know. I kind of hit these kind of fades, you know. So Joe's hitting these draws, and I'm hitting these fades. On every shot, you know. I mean, I'm I'm hitting a seven iron, but I got to cut a seven iron in there. Joe's in a seven iron; he's got to hook a seven iron there. Well, when I'm hit, when I'm, I'm fading it to the right side of the fairway, you know. He's like Jack; I can't sling this into the through the trees, and he goes, I don't know how to hit a cut. And I'm Joe; I'm like Joe. The shot that you just stuck me with is calls for a draw. I go, I I don't know how to hit a draw, so you know we blew that that was the end of our, tr- our medley tournament team. yeah you yeah, know right. you, and, a, and a one I would a little suggestion uh, note to self if you're in a Chapman event and you're a slicer play with another slicer yeah
0: how do you, <laughs> you fix know. a slice hit another slice hit another slice
1: <laughs> That's true.
0: That's true. <laughs> that is true uh, well OC thanks man for the yeah, extended great. time for sitting Driven. down yeah I really because, enjoyed it um, I'm, I'm I... happy
1: about this uh, what you guys are doing it's really fun you know I'm, I'm excited and it's like the world we live in you know it's good stuff it's um, talking about golf and, and getting people out there to play. you know it's a lot more fun doing than it is watching so if we come out of that with well, that's a that's a pretty good uh, model to come out with.